Last week, we took a look at what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. Many people have helped us know what loving God looks like in our lives, including previous pastors here at Grace. Today, we look at a similar question with a similar answer, how to inherit eternal life. We know the first, love God, but the second part is so quick, you might not notice there is a second command added to the first. Listen closely so you don't miss hearing this second command to love. We are going to hear our reading from Nicholas, a recent graduate. We want to honor our high school graduates who haven't had the usual pomp and circumstance around graduation. So we asked him to read today as a way to celebrate his accomplishment. Hear now our scripture for today. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave, it, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. And from Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Many people know the parable of the Good Samaritan, but Jesus seems to emphasize you can't just say you love God, you have to love your neighbor too. I don't know who you think of when you hear the word neighbor, but my life has been forever changed by a neighbor I once had, and not in a good way. This neighbor, we'll call him John, was maybe a little gruff when we first met him, but pleasant enough. It didn't take long before we found out that he was trying to sue the church I worked for, accusing us of dumping raw sewage onto our own playground used by preschoolers. This, of course, wasn't true in the slightest, but it didn't stop him from talking to every official in town that would listen. This went on for years, and when he realized his complaints weren't going anywhere, he decided to contact the state. Because they didn't know any better themselves, they came in and spent a whole afternoon at the church looking at the building, testing the ground and the water. In the end, they didn't find anything wrong, just a grumpy neighbor that hated the local church. Now, all this I could forgive easily enough, but what's much harder for me to let go of is that after this, my beautiful wife Emily decided to treat our neighbor John like a saint. 
despite everything he had done against the church, she was going to kill him with kindness. She baked cookies, she brought leftovers, she gave store-bought food and restaurant food, she chatted, she even gave him dog treats so our dog would love him. And after months of this, Emily handed another batch of food to him across the fence, and the exchange they had still mystifies me to this day. He proceeded to tell Emily in detail every single thing he thought was wrong with all the food she had ever brought over, even food she had purchased for him. Now, I know Emily doesn't like to cook. It's not a labor of love like it is for some. But nobody criticizes my wife's cooking. Nobody says they don't like her food, except my two little boys who only like pizza and chicken nuggets. But besides that, no one. And her baking is amazing. Ask her about the family recipe for ultimate chocolate chip cookies. They are so good. But here we have a neighbor that is being awful to my wife. And Jesus tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. Surely he doesn't mean that neighbor. Surely he doesn't mean the ones that insult you and try to sue you when you haven't done anything wrong. That command to love your neighbor as yourself comes from the book of Leviticus. I had someone tell me once that Leviticus 19 is considered the center of the Torah. It's the heart of Judaism, an ethic of care and concern for your neighbor. When Jesus has the lawyer answer his own question, the lawyer is telling Jesus what most Jewish people believed, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus affirms it. Yes, that's the right answer. Do this and you will live. It was almost as if Jesus was telling him, everybody knows the answer to this, love God and love your neighbor. That's when we get this great little tidbit from the scriptures that says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This lawyer doesn't want to get brushed aside. He wants Jesus to really deal with his question. It's easy enough to say we have to love God and our neighbor, but who exactly do you mean when you say neighbor? If it were me, I might ask Jesus, surely you don't mean my neighbor John, do you? See, back then an Israelite would use the word neighbor, and they wouldn't mean whoever happened to live next door. They, might, uh, they meant specifically other Israelites. A neighbor was someone who lived in the community, practiced the same religion as you, followed the same customs and laws as you. A neighbor was someone who was like you. Foreigners, then, were not your neighbor. If they insulted your wife's cookies, clearly they didn't understand the rules of polite society, of how to act in this country. They were, then, not your neighbor. That's when we get the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is asked to spell it out. Who, then, do we call neighbor? Who are we to love? Usually we can follow the basics of the story. A man is walking along by himself. He gets beat up and robbed. He is near death when a priest comes by, but the priest just keeps walking. Then a Levite, whatever that is, and then a good Samaritan who is the hero of the story. Yay! So be like the good Samaritan. But there is so much more to this story. So let's dive in. Let's look at the priest first. Priests are holy dressed well, and had to perform rituals. So in general, they shouldn't get blood on themselves. They especially shouldn't be around dead people. 
you could get a bad reputation if that sort of thing happened to you. So the priest just keeps going. Next, then, is the Levite. If you're like me, you might not know off the top of your head what a Levite is. I had to look it up. It's someone who takes care of temple responsibilities. Today, we might think of someone who helps out at the church, like a youth worker or a member of the choir. The idea is, this is someone who would readily be connected with the church, but is more of your everyday worker. This isn't the priest with their fancy clothes. How then would an ordinary religious person treat this half-dead man who has been robbed? And the answer is, exactly like the priest. They just walk on by, avoiding the person altogether. That might seem like a heartless thing to do, and it might be. It's also possible that these people, both the priest and the Levite, are scared. This particular road Jesus describes as narrow and windy. It has small little caves along it, perfect for robbers to hide in. If one person has already been mugged and beaten, surely the criminals could still be around. If you stop to check and see if this bloody body is a corpse, you very well may be mugged and beaten yourself. Both of them are doing what they need to do in order to protect themselves, in order to survive. I don't think there's any shame in it. But then we have a third person who comes by, the Samaritan. Samaritans were known as only partially Jewish. Hundreds of years before Israel had been invaded and the land was divided up, the Samaritans were allowed to remain in their portion of Israel because they could no longer go to Jewish temple in Jerusalem. They built a new temple on Mount Gerizim. Seems like a pragmatic solution. The temple was taken over by the enemy. You can't go there anymore, so build a new one where you can go. But a hundred years later, many Jews returned from captivity in Babylon. If you've ever heard of Daniel in the lion's den or maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all happen in Babylon. When the Jewish people return, they are grievously offended by the Samaritans. They built a new temple? That's not right. God commanded only one temple. So there is this divide, there is this antagonism, and eventually hatred that develops between them. In Jesus' time, Judea and Galilee are clearly Jewish lands, but Samaria is different. Jesus' audience would have even said Samaritans practice a different religion from the rest of them. Samaritans are the bad guys. But in this story, the Samaritan is the hero aiding the robbed man, bandaging him up and giving freely of his own money. It doesn't make any sense. Why is the bad guy loving his neighbor? The story then isn't just telling us to be good. We aren't just loving those nice people who think like us, live like us, and are nice like us. We are hearing about the kindness of the enemy, about how good they are treating people. And Jesus is essentially saying they are doing it right. They are doing it better than some of our best people. So when you hear the story in those terms, it's not just a, a nice story to love the people that are good to you. It's a serious challenge Jesus is issuing, saying, love even the ones that are different from you. Love the people that try to sue you. Love even that guy that ridicules your wife's cooking. That's not an easy thing to hear. I know I am surrounded by loving people in this congregation. Even this week, people have 
continue to bring us gifts and food. We are overwhelmed with your generosity. I've called all the homebound and was delighted at the warm reception I've had. You have some very special people in this church. And it makes sense that good, loving people show goodness and love to everyone that comes into their orbit. But the real challenge on our lives is not to love just the good people. It's to love the tough ones, too. It's interesting, just one chapter earlier in Luke 9, Jesus is traveling with the disciples, and some go ahead to prepare a place for them to spend the night. When they get to the city, it's a Samaritan city, they ask for a place to stay, but the Samaritans won't help because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, the enemy city, with that enemy temple. When the rest of Jesus' disciples hear what's going on, they turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They want to burn the place down because the Samaritans won't give them a place to stay. This makes perfect sense if the goal is to win, to beat the enemy, to defeat them at every turn. Don't give them an inch, and if you can, burn them with fire from heaven. But that's not Jesus' way. He turned to them and rebuked them. I could see Jesus saying to them, what in the world are you talking about? Who do you think these people are? These are God's children too. I imagine the story of the Good Samaritan just a few verses later is not only answering the lawyer's question. Jesus is reminding those who follow him, love even those people who the world has taught you to hate. You know, when I think about it, my neighbor isn't really the most challenging person for me to love. When my neighbor critiqued Emily's cooking, she came and told me, and we, we laughed about it. We only see our neighbor a few moments a day. What do his thoughts matter in the grand scheme of things? The people it is much harder for me to love are the ones who have injured me most deeply. Friends, co-workers, even some family members. What do you do with those people? How do you love people who fight you at every turn, who will never stop hating you? Jesus ends the whole story with this simple question. Which of these three do you think? was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. It's not the priest. It's not the Levite. The lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. And I think that points to the way, to how we treat people that hate us. Show mercy. Be a blessing to them, even if they've never been that to you. Don't do to them what they deserve to have done to them. Do what is good. Do what builds them up. I remember when I first started working in the Methodist church, a church took a chance on me, and I was hired as a youth minister. It wasn't more than two weeks before I took a group of kids camping without telling the parents or having permission slips signed. They, they should have fired me on the spot, but they showed mercy. Over the coming years, we took things, moved things, broke things. I must have done everything wrong a youth minister can do wrong. And you know what they did? They loved me. They told me when I I messed up, sure, but they loved me. They didn't give me what I deserved. They showed me mercy. When I look back on that now, I see a group of Christians who loved instead of hated, and 
What a gift they've given me. I would not have met my wife without them. I wouldn't have my children without them. Their love made my life possible in a very real, concrete way. I think I learned from their love. I improved as a minister and as a leader. They nurtured me when they very easily could have labeled me a failure and an enemy to their good, stable, and uh, upstanding church. I see that same spirit in this church. I shared about the death of Rebecca at the start of the service. Some of you have shared your experiences of her with me. You loved her despite the troubles she experienced. You showed mercy when you could have written her off. One person told me that even at her lowest point, at her very worst, she would still help anyone, even giving them the shirt off her back. You nurtured that in her. You showed her what it means to love someone, even if they were your enemy. So Jesus says, eternal life comes through love. We love God and love one another, even our neighbor, as good or bad as they may be. We even love our enemies. We are are not called to bring vengeance or to bear grudges, but to show mercy. It's not just a command from Jesus. It's the very means by which we bring God's love into this world. Amen? Amen.